Khan. It's um, awesome to have you here in a um, conversation with you. Um, I'm here with Lindsay Yee. How are you going, Lindsay? Yeah, good. Good, and how are you, Khan? Yeah, good. Thank you for having me. Looking forward to this conversation. So it's a bit of a departure from the usual Design Assembly podcast um, format in which it's been myself and someone that I'm interviewing. Um, so I've pulled Lindsay into this new format in the hope that we have more of a roundtable conversation. So I'd like to um, start with asking you about where you're from, Khan. Usually uh, I open meetings or workshops with uh, little pipiha, um, he uriho noa, Te Arawa, Ngāpui, Te Arawa. I whakapapa to Te Arawa, Ngāpui and Te Arawa. But I grew up in Tāmaki Makoto. And I've spent a lot of my life here in Tāmaki Makoto. I currently live in Freeman's Bay and I work for Curative, a creative agency that's focused on creating positive behavioural change through creative means. And I studied at AUT uh, way back in 2006. Well, it's not nearly as long ago as when I studied at AUT, so you're all right there. <laughs> and before you um, before you kind of went and uh, studied at AUT in terms of your uh, tertiary study, did you study art or design at high school? Or, um, you know, tell us a little bit about your family in terms of your influences there. I actually didn't study art and design in high school. I did graphics, which was more architectural tech drawing, um, but I did focus on art painting and that kind of uh, creative exploration um, through different artistic, visual artistic uh, mediums. But I really kind of discovered an interest in the graphic or communication design space in university. I left high school in sixth form and went into university and did a foundation course exploring uh, spatial design, visual arts and uh, graphic design and ended up taking the, the degree path for graphic design. Um, from that point, I kind of still a lot of my influences have been in the uh, the visual arts. I think early on, uh, I was pointed towards Colin McCann, Gordon Walters, uh, and their graphic style influenced the, the my growth, my my visual evolution, I guess. And then outside of that, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's 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 a tough one. I think um, yeah, those two influences was, are kind of like massive things in New Zealand visual culture just as a, as a kind of thing. It's, they're so looming, it's really hard to kind of like get out from under that shadow of those kind of artists. Yeah, I, I think there was a, one of my earliest projects was um, around, and for a lot of people that, that studied at AUT and did this, this foundation course, was exploring your identity. And at that point, I guess I was still within a colonised mindset, if that makes sense. Um, I was used to kind of growing up in a Māori space, but not really seeing the value of that worldview or having that communicated back to me. Uh, and a lot of my education through university, we did some exploration of Tetriti uh, of Waitangi, but it was like one or two classes. And uh, the value of that kind of perspective or those influences or even the understanding of the, that kind of symbology visual culture, um, the importance of those things and the kind of care you needed to take that wasn't given or communicated because it wasn't understood by the people that were teaching us. It was much more kind of communicated through my parents, which is kind of funny because even they weren't fully aware of or fully connected to their Māori culture, um, but they knew 
that you needed to treat it with care and respect those connections to, to place. So do you feel there was kind of like a disconnect between, so there was like a professional and outside world way of doing things and then there was kind of a family and home way of doing things that kind of like were quite separate? Definitely. I There weren't a lot of Māori uh, studying in my degree and they kind of dropped off more and more as we progressed through the years. Um, I did end up hanging with a diverse crowd, I guess. It was a very Pākehā majority uh, yep. within the cohort, uh, but somehow, I didn't notice this at the time, but I ended up hanging out with mostly people that weren't Pākehā. Yep. <laughs> so, and I guess uh, identifying that difference and the, the, the ways that our, our cultures, our, our own cultures influenced our points of view um, was something we could all kind of find comfort in. And so in those kind of early days of your career then, um, you headed overseas for a while. And how did that kind of affect you, um, you know, personally and, and professionally in your journey? When I went overseas, I had no intent. I, I had a vague intention of uh, continuing to explore my career path in the graphic design or creative space. But I did. I went to London in 2008, uh, and that was just as the financial global financial crisis hit. And so everyone, everyone was getting fired. And realistically, I figured out pretty fast. I got a few photography jobs or um, some digital design jobs, but it was a grind and um, it wasn't really why I was there. I'd gone to explore the world and I always said that I would prefer to travel rather than work. And so my, my, my focus there was much more on going to places, seeing things and meeting people. And I didn't, my, my focus didn't shift back towards the graphic design space until I moved back to New Zealand. My visa ran out and whether I liked it or not, I had to come back to New Zealand. <laughs> faced with that kind of decision, or faced with that reality, I was like, well, if I'm back here, why not come back to what I studied in? Why not like start to build my career, start to focus on that career? Design Assembly was actually quite a, a big influence at that point. Mm. Uh, I came back, had lost a lot of, not lost, but um, a lot of my peers had two to three years of experience in the industry and they were like far above me and I didn't know how to approach in the same way. I was older than a lot of the graduates that, that were entering, but I didn't have the experience of people that were my age. So I needed to kind of reset, take stock, take stock of the creative environment, the creative industries, kind of really understand what was in place and what was of value and what was missing. And I think one of the, I met with you pretty early on. Yeah, I think I remember, remember that. We, um, I remember having a coffee with you at, um, in St. Kevin's, yeah, at Alleluia in St. Kevin's Arcade on Karangahapi Road. And I was like, I was desperate to kind of understand the industry and mm. who, were, who was in the industry. Um, and I hadn't really understood the, the value of networking until that point I um, assumed that you just kind of had to do it on your own um, but the more I engaged with design assembly and engaged with the conversations that were happening and mm. understood what design assembly was trying to achieve by building community and building space for conversation about what Aotearoa design looks like and could be and the uniqueness that could be um, celebrated and elevated um, that kind of really excited me mm. one of the um the first conversations, that, well, the first thoughts that I, I um, had when we were talking um, at Alleluia 
was Maori design is something that is that should be happening, but there's not a, a clear kind of conversation or um, approach. It's kind of just kept to the side. It's kind of tokenistic, uh, cliche in a lot of ways. It's not very nuanced. And I kind of reflected on like the Gordon Walters thing as as a huge conversation that has been happening for a long time. And the the way that Gordon Walters used the kuru, translated the kuru into a um, very kind of geometric, graphic, uh, refined, minimal form was something as a designer I appreciated. I appreciated that kind of simplicity and the, the beauty of that simplicity. But understanding how that came to be and how that power rested within a Pākehā worldview, um, it, it seemed strange to me. It, it seemed really strange to me. Um, and it kind of highlighted to me the lack of conversation around that and the need for further development within a design yeah. space, especially. Yeah, I mean, you still see so many things that are like that now. And we were talking about the New Zealand and Australia um, Women's World Cup bid for 2023 and how there's a Indigenous pattern for both countries, but it's like 30% opacity in the background. And I'm like, wait, that's like almost so many brands have this, hey, here's our Indigenous culture. It's 30% opacity and in the background and here's our token move. Yeah, totally. Like the token thing is the kōru, the kōwhaiwhai, yep. uh, sometimes triangles more and more. Like it's not really, well, and previously that hasn't really been understood or how to engage with that. And I guess one of the encouraging things over the last 10 years has been the developing conversation, the kind of acknowledgement of difference and the value of that difference. And then also the many different ways we can attack this or kind of introduce new ways of designing. And that's not just in a visual way, that's also in the approach, the, the way that we uh, fold in thinking, um, like not locking ourselves into one style, but creating many different approaches to fully kind of embrace that world. So when you returned to New Zealand um, 2008, um, where did you find yourself or where did you um, land in terms of a design studio or how you were working? For the first six months, I was looking um, and that's when I was kind of volunteering and looking for projects um, and doing creative projects with design assembly. Like I think we did, I did photography for events. I went to talks a lot. I started to engage with creative mornings. Um, I reconnected with my friend Jade Tang Taylor, um, who was in the middle of uh, study and like always everything, a hundred different projects at the same time. But one of the things that kind of fell out of that relationship was Jade was starting a creative agency that was focused on social good. She'd been uh, doing her master's in design for social good and uh, was interested in extending that idea into a creative studio. And so I started contracting. Uh, that studio was formed in 2012, January 2012. And I was working on projects with them pretty soon, pretty soon after they, they had been founded. And it was kind of a perfect entry point for me. I 
knew the value of community. I knew um, I wanted to do something that was meaningful. We were all, we were three young people in our uh, mid to late 20s. So we had energy and um, naivety and blind faith that we could do something amazing. And it was a bit like tough the first year, especially because um, we were grinding, um, picking up whatever we could to kind of prove ourselves. Um, but it was also kind of a beautiful space to be in. And that, that naivety meant that we were like super optimistic, evangelistic. Is that the word? <laughs> yeah. yeah. We're kind of, it was kind of like a cult, a crazy little cult. <laughs> and is there a project from those early days of Curative that um, stands out for you in terms of being a great project or, you know, um, something that you just had huge learnings from? Well, the, the whole year was kind of a, a huge learning journey for me. Um, but the one that kind of stands out the most to me, I, I looked back the other day on some of the projects and I was like, oh, God. <laughs> But I think like that's if you're not looking back on your work and saying what was I thinking or what was I doing, um, you're not growing. So great. Um, but the one that kind of stands out the most for me was oh, there are two. The one, the first one was a mix of design and kind of PR comms, where uh, we did something called Live Below the Line. Uh, it was a fundraising awareness campaign that was tied to a global movement um, with the intention of highlighting the global poverty line, line and how many people lived below that poverty line and the amount of that poverty line. Um, so it was, it was something very small. I can't even remember now, but it was very small. I mean, you had to live off that, that budget every day. You had to live off $2 a day, and that included, like, it was only food for us um, and for the campaign. But we put together a video on the smell of an oily rag. It was stop motion. I hand drew the stop motion on this big sheet of butcher paper. Um, we created uh, invitations and then hand delivered them. Uh, and then we put on this big event with uh, entertainment, a meal that was uh, under the, the budget for the day. Um, and yeah, that was kind of fun, but also we took part in that challenge. We were living on that budget while working full time. By the end of it, I we were all starving. And we yeah. put on a creative mornings event that that <laughs> Friday as well. So we were starving by by the time we got to Friday, we were starving. Got up at 6 a.m. Um, and put on free breakfast and coffee for a hundred people at in New Zealand and a talk. And the coffee provider offered us coffee when we got there and we we're like, oh, we can't do it because we're on this thing. And he said, no, this, this, I know how much a cup of coffee is and this works out to be like five cents. So like it, it'll be fine. So Jade and I both had a cup of coffee, hadn't had coffee all week. We like, went like our energy skyrocketed for half an hour as we were setting up things, which was perfect. And then just as we stepped onto the stage, we both crashed and we're like, <laughs> Could not form a co coherent thought, could not speak. Both of us were just like looking at each other, flummoxed and panicking, but we got through it. Uh, Jeff Wong was the speaker on the day, I think. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And it was about in New Zealand, um, so that was cool. Yeah. Well, definitely putting yourselves 
in someone else's shoes and experiencing that sense of empathy there with your project. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And then the other one was um, Oxfam. Uh, again, leaning into community uh, storytelling, um, understanding those those needs, um, and also finding a clever idea um, to really reach into people's hearts. Um, that was a TV ad that was shown over Christmas. But I think after that that first year, we kind of understood or identified what we wanted to do differently. Um, apart from the, the fact that we were focused only in, and and only working with organisations that were creating some kind of positive shift in New Zealand, our focus kind of shifted towards process, understanding process and, and collective decision-making. And ever since that, that kind of value shift um, towards community and elevating and including community in our design process has been uh, a huge foundation for our work um it ties in really nicely to Māori thinking um and Māori approaches to creating relationships sustaining relationships and valuing the the thinking and the power of collective decision making so now what does your um day-to-day look like in at curative uh, what's your role I'm design director at curative I work alongside um my creative partner Logan Bradley, um, who is the creative director. Um, and then we have a small team of three other designers who do the bulk of the creative making. Um, and then the agency as a whole, there are 20 of us. Uh, and there's a spread between strategy, creative strategy, uh, media planning, and project management. My day-to-day is pretty varied and has become, since I've moved into uh, the leadership space of the agency um much more management or direction rather than making i still do some making and fighting to continue to have space to make um, which is always a battle i think for leaders in the creative position but uh it is meeting with clients uh taking parts taking part in workshops uh where we kind of draw out these insights and and create basis for community to be involved in the creative process and I'm I imagine um, being a values driven um, studio that then your um, values you know come into play and can be incorporated day-to-day in your work life would you like to talk a bit a little bit about what your values are and kind of and how that influences um, your life as a designer values are really important to creative um and kind of always have been the fact that we were able to say at the start that we weren't going to work with organisations or take jobs that were, weren't to do with creating a positive shift in society um, was kind of a ballsy move, like to, to assume that we would be able to make a living <laughs> off just that work was a big gamble that hasn't ever really been in doubt so placing value on community, the, the strength of community and the, the, the belief that we can each add our own bit to, to create a better future for our children, our grandchildren, our, our, our family and our people has been huge. Um, as we've gone along, understanding better what the importance of whanaungatanga, um, building relationships with clients, with people in the sector uh, that we work alongside, um, and maintaining those relations, relationships, 
has been hugely uh, important to us um, because it means that we can identify and share opportunities across all of the, the, the spaces that we work in. Inclusivity is a big one. Where did I come out? <laughs> I identify as a Takatapui man and I came out about three years into Curative um, and that journey was, was helped by Curative. Um, they provided space for me to, to figure out what it meant to be queer and that I could be that. I could be, I was supported to be gay in the space. But understanding the difference of my identity, the, um, the, the different parts of myself and how all of those different parts kind of weave together and are important in our work in shaping our work and in reaching people is hugely important to us. It's, it's kind of why we put so much uh, value and energy into our collective process, collective creative process, because we understand uh, like a lot of Western design process is all about the individual artist or designer. Um, it places value on their expertise, their vision. It's very kind of masculine in its approach. Yeah, very um, egocentric too. Yep. Very egocentric. And um, that's kind of against everything that we work for at Curative. Um, I, I guess the fact that it was a female-led design agency as well meant we were immediately different from a lot of other agencies operating in the space. It's something still so, so, so rare. Like, it's so rare. So I, I guess... Intrinsically, we knew the, the importance of making space for different voices and built that into our process. And even more so, like the more and more we understand about um, our process and the impact of uh, representation in creation and in the, in the decision-making process and leading workshops um, and just kind of presenting leadership. Ah, what am I trying to say here? You've just got different points of view, right? Like in, in any kind of space, like... Yeah, well, points of view, that, that's why points of view are important because we don't see the gaps that are gaps for our communities. Yep. So we work with a lot of communities that are um, underrepresented um, and the, quite often they're underrepresented because the people that are making decisions or making work for them aren't from those communities. So they're making yep. a lot of assumptions. And so by folding them into the process and hearing their voice and hearing uh, the back from directly from them, the barriers that they run into all the time, we can fight, figure out ways together to overcome or go around those barriers or de deconstruct those barriers, which is the ultimate aim, right? And um, so the fact that the way Curative is, is made up at the moment, we're like a third Māori. Our GM is, from the dis is a part of the disability community and, and quite a active uh, voice in the disability community. I think we're like almost a third queer as well. We're majority indigenous because there are um, a lot of, there are a couple of uh, one of Pacific people within our, our staff as well. Um, and so that's already quite a different makeup from a lot of other agencies that work in the same space. And we've had quite a lot of feedback from people who have said, we saw your team on the website and we come to you because you reflect us. You are from our communities and that means you understand 
where we're coming from. And you talked a little bit about how or alluded to how um, more inclusion or um, kind of exploration into uh, Māori design and into our Māori over the kind of last 10, 15 years. And what other um, changes or shifts have you seen over this time? Well, yeah, the development of different approaches to Māori design or design in a Māori space has been huge. Byron Ohia, uh, Johnson Mackay, Johnson Witiheda, Ray Mackay, all of these, uh, Tato, the uh, folding in of creatives and artists within Ngāti Whātua Urake, all of these different perspectives, different approaches, the design research that's going on within a Māori context, um, all of this is hugely encouraging and um, I guess more and more we understand the the beauty and the impact of including these perspectives early and I guess the agency or the that the agency that we should have as uh, the people the indigenous people of this place if we're not going to get that power here where are we going to get it um, so it's important that we fight for it and more and more we seem to understand and uh, as a as a I use we as a as a society, like we as a as a group of people um, are more and more learning to understand that impact and the importance of doing that. I was going to say, um, how do you think of uh, like different design strategies, like say something like co-design? Do you think that's because that's become something more and more popular, but then it kind of does feed into that kind of like thinking about um, doing a lot of design research before starting to design rather than your design research being based on visual things and looking at the space, it's more let's interview the stakeholders and talk to them and see what they want out of the, out of the design piece or whatever the kind of outcome will be. Yeah, so like co-design is, is a term that's kind of, I think it's become overused in a lot of ways. Yeah. Um, and by that I mean a lot of people say they do co-design, um, but it means different things to different people. And I think within a Māori space, co-design means bringing in Māori voice early, which is kind of what, when you talk to activists and Māori communities about what mana motuhake means, it means including Māori voice throughout the process. So it's finding ways to, to fold those perspectives in from the start so that we don't run into issues that are offensive or damaging or like we're not wasting resource. And it's quite interesting uh, in terms of kind of your values and the space that curatives in then in terms of how this the Maori world view and and the co-design methodology you know align, don't they? Quite nicely. They do, yeah. Mm, mm. And and I think it, uh, like to just kind of continue on that that point around mana motuhake. Mm. We as a people, we as a country, have all kind of engaged with this. This country is based around. Te Tiriti or Waitangi. And that is not really understood. Like the the what that means is not un- understood by a lot of people. Um, but it does kind of need to be unpicked. It needs to be understood better by everyone. Um, and especially every organization that operates within this country, because at the base it's we've promised as a people to be governed. We've, we've signed up, our people signed up to this document, all of our people, not all of our people, 
It's such a complex space. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. yeah. yeah. It's, also, it's also hard to speak for you, for, for a group of people. For everyone? Yeah. Yeah, 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 totally. Yeah. Uh, Disclosure statement. Yeah. 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 I'm not I'm not trying to speak for everyone, but like no. what I'm what I am trying to say is it's our founding document and it means that we should honor the indigenous people of the land. And what that means within a design space is inclusion, including Māori, iwi, voice at every stage, partnering with them, giving them power, autonomy, agency, trying, in a, in a larger sense, it means deconstructing a lot of the, the barriers that have come to be and like the structural barriers that are in place due to colonisation. And to kind of go on a little bit of a tangent, um, you mentioned kind of wanting to stay within the making process of design. And do you have a personal kind of design or um, creative practice outside of your kind of day job? Even if it's just huh. for your, your paint, painting for yourself. Well, this is a hard question for me to answer. Um, <laughs> Pass. Previously, <laughs> no, no. Like, in my early days at Creative, um, I kind of mentioned that I was involved with Design Assembly and used that as a creative outlet or a, an opportunity to to make without commercial motivations. And Creative Mornings was much the same. It was about, like, engaging with and, and getting inspiration from our local creatives and, and also building community space for that creative exploration and inspiration. And then along the way, I, I do creative stuff, but it's it's becoming less and less because I've so recently I've um, put a mural up in Tauranga. I was invited to do a mural. Uh, oh yeah, but, a, yeah, I saw that. Yeah, mm. weird but good, like good experience. Never thought I'd be in a like visual art space, but it kind of is in that space. Mm. The design for visual arts. Yeah. Um, Feel kind of, about it, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> it sounds like it's something that's you're kind of uh, you know exploring, and it's like a personal practice. So you're um, potentially it's still a work in progress before you're ready to put it out there. Yeah, I think I I'm I'm obviously looking for creative outlets outside of my work, but also work can be so all encompassing. Um, so it's hard to find the space to do that, mm. uh, and then outside of my work. I also co-chair the Open Pride Festival, which is kind of a, a creative outlet as well. It's, it's also deeply not a creative outlet. It's very kind of um, serious decision-making, uh, political decision-making, and once again, community building, um, creating space for development and understanding uh, the gaps in a queer community, trying to understand better how to create capacity and build capability within those spaces for creative making and also creative queer leadership. Mm. I mean, and that leads quite nicely into asking you how you do uh, disconnect and kind of reconnect to yourself. This is kind of a deeply uninteresting answer for me. <laughs> I, I, I'm almost ashamed to say it, but it's tied to exercise. Um, I go to the gym because it's a space that I can not think. I can just kind of follow instruction or... It's kind of a mindfulness practice. Yeah, it's yeah. About grounding yourself in your body and um, working around the pain or 
exertion that you're feeling and um, trying to get past that. Yeah, I was just going to say it sounds like a meditation practice. So, mm. yeah, yeah. Huge, hugely important to kind of um, either like, you know, be able to kind of like leave each day and start each 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 day again. Yeah. Mm. But then on top of that, and, and this is the answer that is much more interesting to me, um, the people that I engage with, uh, my refreshment, they re-energize me. They're the people that... Uh, context when I'm stressing out or feeling like I'm being buried under a pile of work uh they're the ones that lift me out um tell me to have a drink or come and hang out with them watch a movie uh the social people social connections are my saving grace they're the ones that refresh me and within industry as well like it's really important to to kind of share insights and connect on that level with people within the industry. I think the, the stronger bonds we have across agencies um, and the less competitive we are, the, the stronger we'll be as a creative economy. So you have kind of a group of design friends that you catch up with socially in that respect? I do, not just design. I think it's important to not um, stay within a design circle. I think any creative circle is, is valuable. Um, obviously, like I, I said at the start that a lot of my influences early on were artists, visual artists, um, and I think it's important that you don't stay within one sphere. Diverse uh, perspectives are always important um, to push your practice and to kind of make you see different ways of doing things, and that's especially true for design. Um, so the more that you can engage with visual artists, theatre makers, performers, comedians. Um, do you have anyone or kind of like anything in particular at the moment that's, you know, inspiring you or that you've kind of has kind of mentored you in recent times? I'm really inspired by Rosabel Tan, who um, is the, the director of Satellites, um, public activation um, space that was spread across Auckland for the last few years. Um, and it was all about creating and celebrating the Asian diaspora. What is it, what's the meaning of that word? Diaspora. It's yeah. immigrant, immigrant um, communities have moved to a different country. Okay. And like, there's there's such beauty in that that work. Um, and and again, it, and like to my earlier point, it stretches across theatre, um, graphic design, cooking, photography, storytelling. Yeah, that would be great to work in all those spaces. Yeah. Well, Lindsay, uh, you've got an exhib- exhibition about to open. I don't know. This, this is you, really talking about me, though, yeah. but it, it, but it is interesting talking about how I found it quite interesting talking about the kind of um, not wanting to take on the title of artist or, or being in that space of like, oh, no, I'm a designer. I just design things. There's a brief and I, I work to those parameters and kind of figure that out, um, what's best for that. But, I mean, art can be in that same space too. Yeah, but there wasn't, for your um, exhibition, there's a brief, but it's, it's a pretty loose brief. It's, it's, it's a fairly loose like, brief, it's yeah. Like a commission. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's, a, there's still a brief and there's still a space that has to be um, that has to be filled and there has to be kind of like engagements that have kind of have to have, you want to happen or uh, ones that they want to happen as well. Um, so, there, so there are kind of like elements in design and probably a similar way of thinking how you kind of, oh, I, I did it the same, so in a similar way of thinking in the process I would do for a design project. And how does it build on uh, Design Assembly's Urbis Design Day installation? <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, yeah, yeah, there, were, there were a lot of printer, um, 
printed things that went wrong. <laughs> uh, but it is like it is. It's exactly the same approach. It's like we were given for designed it. It was designed it. We were given that kind of wide brief on how to approach this yeah. project. Mm. Yeah, and we all inter- all interpret it in our own ways. But at, at its base, it's still there. It's the same process. And uh, just before we wrap it up, um, Khan, have you got some magic words of wisdom that you'd like to share with other designers and creatives out there? I think it'll come back to community. That's probably my um, consistent thread throughout this conversation Mm. is the importance of community. A lot of my growth over the last 10 years as I kind of resettled in New Zealand was due to understanding and connecting with and gaining support from my peers in the industry. And the more that I talked to those peers and made space to have hard conversations, to share my journey and to hear about their journey, the stronger my practice has become. And also, like, the more I understand this place, this, like, Aotearoa, Tamaki Makoto, and how we can create something unique um, in our practice and in our visual culture. I think COVID has... The way COVID spotlight spotlit New Zealand's approach to a pandemic um, has highlighted the, our worth, our self-worth, and hopefully it's kind of given us the confidence to claim our identities and our, uh, the power of our in this creative space. Awesome. Well, I think that's a really um, poignant note to um, end it on. Thank you so much for your time today. It's been really interesting to hear a little bit more about um, where you've come from and, and your journey as a designer um, and look forward to seeing where you go to next. Thanks, Khan. <laughs> it's been a great chat. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you.